you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ, Bucky, together. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I am good, DJ. We are officially uh, downhill when it comes to getting ready for training camp. Uh, It's crazy to think that in a week... We'll have like rookies and everybody coming into camp. We'll get some real stuff. We'll see some real images of people on the practice field. So that should be fun. Just starting to figure out some things on my golf swing buck and then football season's here and I'm screwed. You know, just just well, starting to turn the corner well, a little bit, figure some well, things out. No, I'm no this is where we're going to see how dedicated you are. Are you going to be a dedicated no golfer that that is putting around the hotel the night before Ooh, the game as you're yeah. getting ready for the Chargers game. Are you going to be dedicated doing that? Are you going to find a way to sneak out and maybe play nine just to make sure you have some continuity? Like all that stuff. It depends on how good you want to be, if you want to be a leader now. How does that look, by the way, when uh, the players have their backpacks and their travel bags? And I'm, <laughs> you I'm got your glove. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Hey, can I uh can can you can you move the uh the extra snacks up in that overhead? I got a driver. I just want to make sure that thing doesn't get messed up. I just want to get that thing nice and laid out up in the overhead. How does that work? <laughs> It'll work out real well. That's, yeah. that's gonna be great. It's gonna be great for you. That's a good look. Telesco, I'm sure would love that. He'd be a big fan of that. Oh, he'd be all about that. Uh, today is the Q&A pod, Buck. We teased it with hashtag AskMTS, and we have got a boatload of questions. So we're going to get to those uh, in just a moment. But two things I wanted to touch on before we get there. Uh, one, Jets hard knocks. Uh, your thoughts on that one? I think it's challenging. I think uh, a situation that already had a lot of hype and a lot of potential distraction now becomes even more difficult for Rob Asala to navigate. You have a big-time quarterback coming in. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers, a guy who has been a four-time MVP. He's had a lot of success doing things his way. Um, You have a lot of young stars that are kind of bursting up on the set, Sauce Gardner, uh, Quentin Williams, you got the contract situation. And so to me, I think what the thing does with hard knots is it provides people not only with a behind-the-scenes access, but it can expose some of your flaws and some of the warts that you may have coaching staff, front mm-hmm. office or whatever. And so I can see why the Jets were kind of adamantly opposed to like opening up the doors. But now that they're in there, I think everyone just has to tighten up and make sure you're on your P's and Q's. And I know people say, hey, you get used to the cameras, but nah, DJ, you want to make sure that you present yourself in the best light every time you step to the mic. Uh, I think it's a big thing. And I think it's one of those things that, man, you hate it for the coaching staff and for the team. Because I do think it impacts the way that this team will have to bond together in training camp. Yeah, I, I'm going to look at it from a positive side of things. And obviously coming off of a year where Detroit um, you know, didn't impact them. I mean, they they end, ended up playing well. And you look, go back to the last time the Jets were on there, um, the Rex Ryan years, I think they went to the championship game the year that Hard Knocks was there. So I just jot, jot down a couple thoughts. Number one, I don't think anybody will dispute the talent on this team like they have mm-hmm. talent. I mean, they have lots of talent. It's a very talented group, especially with a four-time MVP joining what they already had. So you've got the talent. So 
if you look at a training camp, what are the three things that you have to have every single day? If you want to try and get better every day, you want to try and get ready for the regular season. I wrote down three words, energy, effort, and focus. Like mm -hmm. every day, if you have guys that bring energy, effort, and focus, you're going to get better individually. You're going to get better as a unit. You're going to get better as a team. And I think in some ways, the maybe I'll call it the accountability of the camera. Oh, like, you can you know, get everybody's best. You can get what everybody's I'm saying. best. That's stuff. what I'm kind of saying. You know what I mean? You can like get it's yeah, you can get the juice because people will see this. Uh, you have some individuals who see it as an opportunity to kind of build their brand, become a star in a different work. You'll get the best from the coaches because now the camera's on. So this is it. You don't want to look unprepared in a meeting when you're a coach standing up in front of your – and I'm talking about like a tight ends group. You don't want to be the yeah. tight ends coach and you're on camera and you're like, wait a second, he doesn't know what that call was? He doesn't know what that check was? Does this guy know what he's doing? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an infomercial for other teams to see how you coach, how you go about it. Are you maybe ready for it, the next step? in your coaching career. So this is an opportunity for you to kind of show and prove with, while being authentic. But this mm -hmm. is a great opportunity for you to put yourself out there and do those things. So you are absolutely correct about getting yeah. the best. You can get the best performance because you got the cameras there. And I think for some guys, um, you know, if you're a player, let's say you're a good player, but maybe you're not a marquee name. Um, mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden people watch, this is going to be one of the most watched hard knocks, if not the most watched ever, just because of Rogers. People, people are enamored with him. We see with what he does with McAfee. Like the ratings are going to be off the charts compared to what they normally are for hard knocks. So you're a good player, but maybe you're not a household name. Like this is a chance to kind of get your, yourself out there a little bit, get known a little bit. And, you know, we say it every year when the Pro Bowl comes out, some of it's a popularity contest, you know, so it's a chance for people to get to know who some of these guys are. Yeah, no, it's a popularity contest. And it's one of the things that um, you want to take advantage of this if you're a player. It is a tremendous opportunity for everyone to kind of see you because one of the things with football, when you have your helmet on, people don't necessarily get a chance to know you. When now mm -hmm. they get behind the scenes access, they get to see you away from the facilities, see you with your families, all the run up to um, the first preseason games and all that other stuff. So it's a great opportunity. I would just say that with all the hype there now, I was now here's the funny thing. Robert Sala certainly hasn't tried to temper expectations. No. He's he's talked about it being big. And so that's why it's a little funny that he didn't want the hard knocks thing there. Well, now that they're there, you gotta embrace, you gotta go all in, you have to talk about it up front with your team, and you gotta be ready to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also come back. I know it's a league of paranoia and football at the college level in the NFL has always been paranoid. Coaches are paranoid. It's why so many colleges freak out and close practices. And I just think back to some of those dominant college teams that we had a chance to be around when we were scouting. Wide open. Like, hey, you want to watch? Come watch. Scared. If you, you want to see watch. what you want to see what you're getting ready to get, come on out. Come out. Take take a sneak peek. Get a preview of the movie. Come on out. I I can't, man. I can't even Man, the SC practices back when that's what I'm saying. He care was there, was wide open. He didn't Richard care. You could have had you could have had the head coach of Arizona and Washington stand on the sidelines. Yeah, he would have went over and shook his hands. Hey, good to see you guys. You guys doing all right? Yeah, you come over here and look at this all day. <laughs> we have no worries. Yeah. Uh, no so anyway, worries. That that was my kind of hard knocks thought there. Uh the other one is I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I'm getting I'm gonna be out next week. So I'm I'm going on vacation. I'm going to download that new Netflix series. What is it? The QB is what, what it's called. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. The, I think that's the name of it. So it's Mahomes. Yeah, the quarterback. Yeah. So it's Mahomes. It's Kirk Cousins. And it's Marcus Mariota following those guys around for the whole year. Now, have you had a chance to see any of the episodes yet? Uh, so I, I, I've seen clips of it because we talked about mm -hmm. it on TA when Pat Mahomes yeah. said, yeah, he we wanted Joe Burrow. 
That's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah, we'll take on the Bengals, though. I'd rather have them. Yeah. Sign me up. DJ, so uh, we talked about it on TA, and they asked me about, like, what did you think? I said, well, right then, he just proved to me he's the ultimate franchise quarterback. That's what I I want. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, man, you want your quarterback to be your toughest player and your most competitive player. We talked about him not over my dead body is what we've talked about. And so the fact that, Mahomes has enough self-awareness to know, like, hey, man, we feel like we match it really well with Buffalo, but I'm not going to let Joe Burrow and the Bengals feel like they got something on me or us. Yeah, yeah, so we're yeah. going we're gonna to go right to them, and I'm okay going toe-to-toe with the team that is maybe a better team and maybe one that gives us problems. Yeah, we're going to eliminate this Burrow head, uh, Joe Burrow being QB1. Yeah, I'm going to attack this right away. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I, I, the image, I don't know, maybe it's because maybe the baseball all-star game was going on. So I kind of got baseball on the brain. But this was the image that I had in my mind. This is so, this is like, we have like weird dreams, right? You're thinking about different things and they kind of come together. I, I was thinking of like a staggered pitcher on the mound, right? Mm-hmm. And Mahomes, your your best hitter is coming up to the plate. And he steps out of the box. He looks down to the bullpen to the to the all star closer. And Mahomes go ahead and just goes like, "Yeah, go ahead, bring, I, no, get this guy out of here. I, I know I can hit him. Let's bring that closer. Bring, why don't you bring him in here? Let me get a little piece of him." And that that's what it did. Uh, exactly what it did. And so I love it, man. And the behind, behind the scenes access of him and him going because uh, they showed a part in the Jacksonville game where he gets hurt. He goes into the extra thing, and he's like. Why do I have to get x-rayed? I'm ready to go. I'm going to go play. You just yeah. saw the will and the toughness. And look, those things aren't stage moments because the cameras are there. That's who Pat Mahomes is. And so yeah. if anything, I came away with just in watching the clippets, the snippets, a greater appreciation for who he is. And it took me all the way back to when he came into the studio and we were all the way done with Path almost. Mm-hmm. And he comes in at the very, I think it might have been the week before. It was a week before and the we draft. Like, and we're like, whoops, oh, man. yeah. I wish I would have tied Gosh. this conversation a month ago. I'm pot committed already. Hundred <laughs> percent. We said it at the time. I know oh, people be like, man. oh, you should have changed. It was like, oh, I was the week before the draft. You can't make any drastic. But just being with that dude for one day, you're like, oh man, this guy's wired. Like he is, he is wired. And the other side of that coin is, makes me love Joe Burrow even more because, oh yeah, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow knows he's that guy, and Pat Mahomes knows that he's he's the one like he like that is the that is a rocky apollo whatever you want to call it it, like that's the the matchup that's the tom brady Peyton manning matchup that we're talking about like that is what it is they're gonna be there the nfl is gonna make sure that we always have a kansas city cincinnati game uh there's already a natural disdain between the teams and then you have Orlando Mm -hmm. brown leaving one going to the other all of that you love it and the fact that the Bengals have won because you can't have a rivalry if it's always one side won the majority of them now you have that that back and forth, and sign me up. They could play again. I, yeah, no, and I guarantee you, if you you gave Joe Burrow some uh, some truth serum on a microphone, he'd be like, "Look, I, I'm I'm better than that dude, man. Like they might have beat me once, but that was a fluke. Like that, I am. I'm how do you think? And, and Mahomes, you, obviously, we could hear him. He feels the way he feels. Like it is, it is so alpha do, alpha, man. Now you talk about the pot being stirred. Now, how Ooh. do you think the Bengals? Now that that's been released. Ooh. Did they play this year, so by good. the way? Have we? Oh, yeah, that they up? play. Yeah, they play. Oh, man. They play. They play. Y'all, oh, you talk about spicy. <laughs> that is a spicy matchup right I'm there. Tell- but I, I love it. I'm telling you, the undercard, like for my money right now, the two best rivalries in the NFL, I think that's number one. 
And I think number two is Philly and San Francisco. San Francisco hadn't stopped talking about how they should they would have beat Philly if they had a quarterback. Just, they haven't stopped talking. Just the way. And then they, they took Hargrave. So you got kind of the Orlando Brown in the AFC rivalry. Now you got Hargrave going from the Eagles to the Niners. Like those are two pretty great rivalries we've got in the NFL right now. <laughs> great rivalries and. I mean, that's what I like. I mean, DJ, in a way, you kind of like it when your teams don't like each other. I mean, the theater of the NFL, we want to see that. Now, if you're coaching it, you say, hey, mute that down. But part of what you like is you like seeing the contentious nature, the acrimony, some of that. That makes for really – look, let's tune in. Let's tune in why mm-hmm. see who's who and what's what. Last thought, and we'll take a break, come back, and knock out all these questions, get them answered for you. Uh, I did my first look. I've got a couple uh, posts mm-hmm. already up on some draft guys. So I've got Jared Burst from Florida State, defensive end, edge rusher. Really, really good player. I think he would have been a top 10, top 15 pick mm-hmm. had he come out last year, which he could have decided to go back to Florida State. So you can find that at NFL.com. And then uh, the latest one was Caleb Williams. And for the comp on Caleb Williams, Buck, I, I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but I, I just said – Mahomes, gosh, he looks and moves like Mahomes. The arm angles from the different, mm-hmm. you know, different arm angles, different launch points, some of which, like, you see him retreat deep in the pocket like we've seen Mahomes do. There's a lot that, j- you know, people have made that comp. Mahomes is the comp for Caleb Williams. Mm-hmm. But then the more I was watching him, and I was like, okay, I see that body type, all that. But, like, in terms of how athletic he is, like, I think Josh Allen is, is a little more athletic than Mahomes. Mm-hmm. I think Josh Allen is physically stronger like just in terms of pulling out of tackles Mahomes is strong Josh Allen's a different level strong Caleb mm-hmm. Williams the the takeaway I had Buck like his lower body strength to shrug off tackles and get out of danger and then make things happen and then even as a runner whereas Mahomes is so good at protecting himself sliding getting out of bounds and Josh Allen's a little bit on that edge you're like yeah gosh Josh, yeah. dial that back a little bit Caleb, yeah. Caleb will drop a shoulder now. He's not afraid to do that. Uh, so I actually said he's a smaller body type, but I thought there may be a little more carryover in connection with, with Josh Allen than even with Mahomes. So the, the the comparison to Josh Allen is I don't think people, when we talk about Caleb Williams, we may not talk enough about his running ability. Mm-hmm. Like that is the secret sauce. And when he he didn't have that, God, what game was it? Maybe it was a bowl game. Well, he got hurt. He got hurt in the in the bowl game. Or, or no, yeah. it was in the Utah, in the Utah, in the Pac-12 championship game. He ripped off a long run, like a 60-something yard run. And he right. wasn't the and same. Got got about, it wasn't the yeah. same. But like yeah. when he has that ability, man, you talk about the ultimate dual threat quarterback because he is a guy that is a high-end, A plus elite level pocket passer who yeah. also has A plus level running ability. You normally don't get that combination. Normally it's weighted a little heavier in one area. He can torture you in a million different ways. And then I'll say this. I kind of like my quarterbacks a little cocky. Yeah. A little, we call it athletic arrogance. I like them to have a little yeah. bit of that to them where they feel like they're the best guy in the room. We just spent five minutes talking about Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes, both feeling that way. Mm-hmm. I like that about Caleb Williams. And so, I mean, there, there's a lot to like about him. But you talk about right now inside track to being the top quarterback. I mean, it's it's him. Somebody's going to have to come get him. And I don't know if there's anyone with all of what he has to convince me that they need to supplant him from the top. No doubt. Uh, I'm going to get to your North Carolina quarterback. I have three guys left I'm doing in this little series, so it'll be five players. I've got Marvin Harrison Jr. I've got Brock Bowers, a tight end from Georgia, and I've got Drake May, your quarterback from North Carolina. So you can find those on NFL.com over the next couple weeks. Um, All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to knock out some of these questions. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 
37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, Buck, Q&A time. You ready to roll? Let's do it. All right, I, I'm not going to say who the questions were from and read out the long handles because I think it will be more efficient. We'll get through them. Although the first one is from Lance from Zerline. Of course, he had to jump in here. He said, did, did you scout punters and kickers in your NFL jobs? Go ahead. Answer Lance's <laughs> question there, Buck. So, LZ, yes, we did scout punters and kickers. And uh, I just remember doing a lot of touch-to-toe times. Yep. I remember pulling out the uh, media guy, making sure I had their stats correct. Hey, he was 26 mm-hmm. of 28. Uh, the majority of his kicks came inside of 40 yards, all of the mm-hmm. other stuff, distance kick. Uh, talked about leg swing and those things high up in the in the uprights. But a lot of this when it comes to scouting punters and kickers is uh, special teams coach. Here's the name. I think we need to yours. That's it. You could do the majority of the report without, report without watching the tape on the kickers. I'm putting the stats in, the athletic background in. He played soccer. He was all-state soccer player, blah, 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 blah. The numbers are the numbers. Then I can talk about he's, you know, two-and-a-half step right-footed punter. You know, his his touch-to-toe time was blank. You know, you're just getting mm-hmm. some times. So that's it. Like, whether or not the guy's going to be any good or not, I'll let the special teams coach figure that one out. Um, all right, here we go. Uh, next question. What do you remember most about sitting in the draft room on day three of the NFL draft? Uh, that's when we're up. Yeah. When you're a scout, that's when you're live and, and and you're on it because now you're talking about the bottom of the draft, talking about fourth through seventh round, but it's not only that. It's preparing your team for free agents, priority free agents, guys that you want to sign, getting them on the phone in the fifth and sixth round. Hey, man, we may take you, but if we don't, like, hey, we would love to have you in some capacity, starting to kind of prep them for the free agent phone call that is going to come immediately after. And so – yeah, day three is a lot of that. And it's also a lot of standing up for the guys in your area that you feel like have a fighting chance to make your roster. And so I just remember having the cases built, ready to support your guy from your area that you feel strongly about as a sixth or seventh round pick. Yeah, OKGs, right? That's our buddy Chris Peterson yep. talking about our kind of guys, finding guys that have maybe that makeup that fits our room well. Maybe that's going to translate to him covering kicks. And then really truthfully, um, once you get into the sixth, seventh round, hey, traits, which this guy is not a great player, but he is a six foot two corner who ran four, three, five. Like, give me, we got to take some pops. Let's take some shots. Let's take some gambles on some guys with traits. That's a lot of what goes on there. And then you're on the horn, uh, calling guys that aren't going to get picked and trying to line them up, uh, you know, as the draft ends. We didn't have a lot of money to offer bucks, a lot of salesmanship, a lot, a lot of opportunity, a lot of opportunity. Yes. You got to hey, look at who the, who the guys are that have played here that were undrafted. We give people a legitimate opportunity. You may go somewhere else. You may get a bigger signing bonus, but you're not going to get a real chance. You come here, you got a chance to play. All right, next one. Uh, most difficult position in college football to evaluate. That's different for everybody. I'll get your answer here. And what are some tips in that process? Uh, I think the challenge that I always had was scouting offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to uh, ascertain. The, the top ones are easy because they have it all, the balance and body control. The harder ones are the developmental guys that are going to make it. The guys that are drafted in the fifth and sixth round that you're saying, hey, this guy has an opportunity to do it. And so for me, a lot of it was, is he always on the ground or not? Mm-hmm. If, if he's always on the ground, that's, man, it's hard. It's hard to sell that guy. If he's on his feet, he's upright, even if it looks bad, sometimes you, those guys find a way to play because, look, if you're playing inside, you're, you're, you're playing with your neighbors. 
You know, he understands how to use body help or whatever. But for me, the challenge was always offensive linemen, trying to find those developmental guys who not only had the traits, but had enough game production that you feel good enough to put a, a, a draftable grade on. That's interesting. And it's different for every person. Every scout will tell you a different answer on that, on what position for them is difficult. Offensive lineman, for me, I had a higher hit rate on that when I self-scouted than I did on some other positions just because old Ron Marsnack, who since passed away, old scout, when I first started, talked about if you just if you will just hang your hat with offensive linemen on toughness, intelligence, um, durability, like and guys that have played a lot of ball, like those guys are going to have a high floor. You're not going to whiff on those guys, and you need to you need to put the, whatever you think a grade is on a, on an offensive lineman and a corner, both those positions. You got to go higher. One, yeah, you got to go one notch higher. Whether that's a round by your system, whether that's a grade, but you'll never get to pick one. If you grade them exactly as you see them, you'll never get them because everybody has to put. You have to move them up. So that that was the offensive line thing that, that helped me over the years. I got in trouble when I got enamored with athleticism, and I'm like, ah, he's not that. He doesn't have core strength. Maybe he's like some of the some of the games and twists. I don't. I worry about him mentally. But man, look how look how quick and agile he is. Like that gets you in trouble. So those are the warning signs there. For me, the difficult position was safety. That's been the one that I've had the hardest time with because in the college game, the way the game's played, you can kind of take the safety out of the game, so to speak. Um, so that you know, in terms of trying to help through that process, I've, tackling has been you know, a big thing over the years with mm-hmm. the way that the game is right now. Your safeties have to be able to tackle, take good angles. Um, can you can you run the alley? We talked about on the pod before, you got to be able to do two or three things. So can you play the can you play the post? Uh, could you cover in the slot as a nickel or could you be a force player down low? Like you don't have to do all three, but you got to be able to do two of the three. So, you know, look at that checklist. That, that's that been something that's helped me with safeties. Yeah, safeties is a tough, tough position because it's one of the positions that a lot of times when you're sitting in the meeting, is viewed as the throwaway position. Hey, man, we can put the slow corner, we're moving to safety. Oh, he can be a safety. And really, man, the safety is a vital part of the defense because they're traffic cops. Between the Mike linebacker and the safety, there's a lot of communication that has to take place. And so that safety not only has to do the things you talk about, being in the post, being in the box, being able to line up in the slot, they have to be high IQ players in my estimation because they got to deal with a lot of changes and checks and getting everybody on the same page. And so it is a very difficult um position to evaluate and it's one that depending on the makeup of your defense you can get a bunch of different body types and a bunch of different players with different styles that can play and function for a long time yeah the last thing on safeties i would say is you try and see if they play with a pause button like they have to they have to have good eyes and they have to trust their eyes so do they do they see it and go do they play faster is there hesitancy hesitancy you're dead at that position mm-hmm. you cannot you cannot sit back there think and process you have to be able to react and go um, so anyways, that, that's a position still, my batting average, of that position is probably the lowest of any, of any positions. It's hard, man. It's a hard position for me to get, but you know, every, I mean, everybody has one. Oh, everyone. Like I just, I just tell you, man, the, the offensive lineman, I told you, I was confounded for so long about those guys, just not being able to like figure out who's who and what's what the, the top ones. Yes. Yeah. Those, those, those fourth to seventh rounders, those are the ones that are more challenging for me. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Every scout has their own answer on that one. All right, this is kind of a long question, so I'm going to try and get through this here. Uh, we often talk about how temperature affects QB play. What is the impact on the physicality of a defense, especially one who plays home games in a dome? And how does this impact the playoffs, where many of the likely suspects to host games, Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, are outdoors and get very cold in January? 
Since the 2010 season, among the 11 teams that play home games in domes, there have only been three Super Bowl appearances, the Rams twice and the Falcons, with one win uh, going to the Rams. Are dome teams at a disadvantage come playoff time? That's actually a really good question. Uh, that is a really good question. I would say, yes, they can be at a disadvantage, particularly playing on the road. A lot of times, man, when you build your team to play in the dome, think of it this way. Uh, back when we had a 16-game season, you knew that you had eight games that were at home on a fast track. You would then say, okay, so we play eight games there, maybe the schedule is split. So now we're playing maybe four additional games on turf on another fast surface. So 12 of your games, it's about speed, explosiveness, or whatever. Well, then you go into the playoffs and you play Chicago in Soldier Field in December, in, in January. It, the field is thick. And so now you got this track team that needs to play like mutters. Mm-hmm. And so it, it can be a difficult thing. And so if you are a dome team and you build your team to really thrive in the dome, you got to hit on it because then it's what we talked about. You got to play to get home games so you can take advantage of the strengths of your team. If not, you have the mercy of weather, other conditions, it doesn't set you up. You don't set yourself up to, to win long-term. Yeah. You build your team to win your division. You build your team to fit your city, to fit your environment. I think to the Colts teams, you know, with Peyton that won a zillion of those divisions in a row, and, and they wanted the playoffs. It was either going to go to Foxborough or through Indy. And it was a huge, you think about the disadvantage for Indy going to Foxborough. Dang, it was a huge advantage with their mm-hmm. speed, with those two, you know, missiles coming off the edge and their edge rushers playing in that dome where it's loud. That's the other side of it. When you play in a dome, it's louder than it is in an outside stadium. So you can you can build your advantages. Now the key is you got to get home field advantage. Uh, but it was the same. I mean, look, this has been said, forget domes, like the the West Coast teams, the 49ers back in their run, like, you know, that, gosh, they want to be able to play, you know, at home. They don't want to have to go to Soldier Field and have to play the Bears. Um, in the playoffs, like during the 80s and, you know, during that period of time, even though they had some success doing it, 49ers proved that they could do both. They could have a team that's efficient offensively, but they could also build a physical defense, even though they were a quote unquote West Coast team that people might have thought might be soft. That wasn't the case. No. And, and, and that's what it is. Like people talk about like the softness and those things, like the physicality and stuff still always has to be baked into the equation. You have to have a physical team to win in the National Football League. You can't win with finesse. Um, what we're talking about doing in terms of building teams for your environment is being able to look at your home field, being able to look at the rest of the division and the probability of where you're going to play your games. Your team needs to be built to play in those environments against those teams that also play in those environments. And so uh, it's a little bit of what your own philosophy is while taking it into account this is who we're going to have to play, and this is who we're going to have to knock off to be the team that can win the division. Yeah, good question, though. Um, all right, here we go. Next one. Is there a day of practice in your guys' playing careers you remember as the most grueling that you still remember to this day? Mm. Most grueling. I, I Look, I just always go back to not only college, I go back to high school. Mm-hmm. I go back to my, my high school coach. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame in North Carolina. His name is Earl Smith. And I just remember Coach Smith standing at the gate at Millbrook High School. You come through with your back then you had your little spirit pack, your bag, had yeah. your little mesh bag with all your clothes in it. And Coach Smith was like, guys, today you got to get your ticket. We're going to the county fair. And so, DJ, <laughs> the county fair is a six station agility circuit with bags, cones, shuttles. You're doing up downs and going. It's it's all the stuff that you kind of see in like the Junction City boys. Like 
Mm-hmm. And I just remember those first two weeks of practice when you start August 1st, it's hot in North Carolina. It's it's like 90 degrees with 90 degree humidity, right? <laughs> like 90% humidity. And it's just a bear. And oh, I ain't no just mandatory water breaks. You get water breaks when coach would give you, because remember, this this is the heyday of the 80s. Uh, yeah. Coach Amber, uh, coach would give you a water break. Thanks, coach. And snap yeah. off your thing. And then you run and get like a little swig of water. You run back. Right back out. Yeah. yeah. And so I just remember the county fair That's in great. high school. And just if you can make it through the county fair, it gave you a rite of passage to get ready for the season. Holy I love smokes. that. I love that. <laughs> I love that. My, my two moments would be not, not in high school, which there were some good ones there. Um, then at Northeast Louisiana and the heat and the bugs and all that oh, stuff that was, not, that was not good. I'll give you one. I'll give you a quick one from Northeast. I remember they had all, I grew up in San Diego, right? So this is all foreign to me. So that first practice on the way out of the, on the way, on the way out of the locker room, I'm the only guy from, I think those two guys from California on the team. I'm walking, I'm walking out of the locker room, fre- red, red shirt, freshman quarterback, like one of the first days practice. I can still see it. And there's all these carousel cans like as you're walking out of the locker room and i'm like god it's kind of weird like what is that it looks like maybe hairspray or something i don't know i i'm not messing with it so i go out there practice ends i come back in um man i'm like gosh my body feels weird like i got these bumps all over me like what's going on like dude you get like 50 mosquito bites did you not put the mosquito spray on on the way out there i'm like that's what that was like yeah you gotta put that on every day before practice like i've never seen mosquito spray i've never seen mosquitoes wow that's one thing that i never really thought about like mosquito spray that's what oh I'm yeah doing. it was because they practice right on the bayou like the, there's like the freaking swamp right behind the practice field um so yeah i learned that lesson but anyways the, the two quick ones from uh from app state um number one uh, we had like, every, I'm sure you had these throughout your career. Like you get, say it's a 24 period practice. For those that don't know, a period of practice would be five, five minutes, minutes. You know, five minutes session. And you have it on the scoreboard. It would say the number one, and then they have a clock that roll five minutes. And as soon as that five minutes ends, you're on to period two. And the script of the practice shows you like, okay, periods three through six, we're doing inside run, you know, se- a seven on seven periods, 10 through 13, whatever. It's all scripted out. That's how you, you have the practice. Buck, we were in like period 16 and we had a bunch of screw ups and you, I know you've been there and they say, everybody into the locker room, come back out period one on the, oh. on the scoreboard. We're starting the whole buck. We had to be an hour and a half into practice, start over oh. stretches, getting your stretch lines, starting over. That wasn't good enough. But I remember thinking like, God, maybe this is why these guys are good. Like they, they don't mess around up here. So that was the, that was the other one. This is my worst one. So I'm a quarterback was a passing quarterback in high school, go to Northeast Louisiana, and we threw the ball a lot. They used me on some some option stuff. Oh, you get yeah. to App State. We get to the regular season, my first year, get to the season. We get to spring ball. So we go through the first couple of days, you're in, you know, you're in shorts. The next couple of days, you're in shells. And then like the first full padded practice day, Buck, I go to my locker and I'm like, okay, the equipment guy, uh, Willie T, I think was his name, Willie T. I'm like, Willie, Willie. He's like, what's up? I'm like, Hey man, where's the red jersey? What I got a white jersey hanging up in here. Like, where's my where's my don't hit me red jersey? He goes, You'll get a red jersey in the spring. I go, excuse me? He goes, No, no. no. <laughs> quarterback, app state quarterbacks, you guys are full go. I said, Well, hold up. I said, I we, we got a lot, we got a lot of nine on seven today. And I think I saw like a lot of QB follow. And sp- 
repeat option. I'm like, I'm live. He's like, oh, li- <laughs> live is chicken wire. I was oh, like, what the heck am I doing oh, going to school here? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, that was a tough one. As someone who was a wide receiver in an option offense, um, my senior season, I have a lot of appreciation for the live. <laughs> the live period. <laughs> hey, hey, dude. Just so you know, like we had, we had, uh, and and the other thing is, like w- the way we ran it, like we ran G load option. So like you're, oh, you take out, a step, and, you, yeah, and you, we're going. So and like it wasn't the most complicated thing in the world. We had, I had at the line of scrimmage, I had to identify who our pitch man was going to be. So oh, in other yeah. words, who are we not going to block and who are we going to pitch off of? Usually it's a force player. So if it's cover two. I'm going to identify the corner. If they're rolling down in a cover three, I'm going to identify the strong safety. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the will linebacker, depending on what the look you get. But the way we identified it was it was part of our cadence. So it'd be like blue 24, blue yeah, 20. 24. So now, now the receivers know, okay, no. we're, le- we're not, we're not leave, blocking leave 24. It, leaving 24 open. Okay. 24 is unblocked. The freaking defense has been there forever. They know exactly. When I, when I call it out, all of a sudden, I'm like, so I it's be like a cover two, and I got the corner right here. So I'm like, blue 24. I see like the backside safety, like start, start coming down. Like everybody in the whole stadium knows we're running G load option right now. And I'll tell you what, I didn't make it to the pitch, man. I can promise you that. He got about five <laughs> yards. <boop. laughs> hey, you got to attack the force player. I'm like, not in spring, you don't. <laughs> no. Um, so that brings me to. When I was in North Carolina, the days that we uh, used to hate, because I told you we played the option, so um, wide receivers could cut. Oh, and yeah. So, and so our own Red Lewis always talks about he was the master cutter at yeah. Indiana. I hated cut blocking. There's yeah. nothing about me that likes, like, one, getting dirty, rolling around, and all that. And so the DB spent all their time hitting the big ball because to, to, to prevent – getting cut. You got to shuffle, shuffle, hit the big ball, and then you go. So that's what they work on. And I'll never forget, man, we're, we're playing, we're doing all this other stuff and practice. And uh, my guy, Rondell Jones, who went on to play for the Denver Broncos, he was like, man, I'm tired of y'all cutting me. <laughs> and so you're quick cutting. Y'all got to hit us. Y'all be, be a man. You got to hit me straight up. Yeah. And, and DJ, we look at my guy. I hate to put him on blast, but Joey Yock. Joey Yock was our guy. He was the, uh, Cut specialist. Mm-hmm. And DJ, you look up on the other side of the field. Rondell has Joey Yock in a full chokehold. Oh, yeah. He's not, he's not playing anymore. He's not he playing cut. anymore. He tried to cut him and he mm-hmm. big balled him and he fell on top of him and he choked him. He choked him out in practice. He choked him out. <laughs> That's so good. Call it spring ball, because that's when you really, like, spring ball was an eternity. It was like, what, 15 days, but it seemed like 15 days of pads or whatever. Oh, yeah. But just when you're in the option and you're cutting guys, and the DBs are like, hey, man, that's I'm enough. tired of y'all cutting. Hey, quit coming. You're coming shoulders over knees, over toes. You're coming yeah. too fast. I can't stop yeah. and block you when you're running full well, speed. That's where, that's where the phrase, for those that aren't, like, had that didn't play, they might not know the phrase of brother-in-law. Like you got yeah, a brother-in-law of those brother-in-law, things. Like, hey, on, man, just, hey, man, hey, man. So, like, hey, bef- before before the snap, like head nod. Like, hey, we're, well, I'm supposed to cut you right now, just so you know. Don't be coming. Okay, don't come. Don't come. Nice and easy. Me. Don't yeah, come running yeah. through me because then I'm gonna have to cut you. Yeah, right? yeah. So just so we know, this is gonna be a stalemate here. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not winning. You're not losing. That's called a brother-in-law rep. We go. Okay? We go. 
So DJ, we're gonna see, we're just, see? Look, yeah. I'm gonna grab your jersey. You grab me. Yeah. And we're just gonna go back and forth. Yeah, yeah. And then make it look you like make it's real sure, violent. Yeah. You make sure you tell me when the running back's getting close, so I don't get pulled up on. I don't get run yeah. up on because that's yeah. always the fear. So everyone is look. We're just hiding in in place. Yep. Just yep. hiding. In place. That's it, brother-in-law, man. It's a brother-in-law rep. It's a key part of football. If you don't, you don't know it. You ain't played it. I can promise you that. That's, that's is what it is, man. Um, so, all right, let's go rapid fire. So we'll each answer mm-hmm. uh, one. So we'll only do uh, one of us will chime in here just so we can get through a bunch of these. Um, and then we'll wrap this thing up here. Okay, here we go. Let's go. Um, do you think the transfer portal has made it more difficult to properly evaluate players? Uh, no, actually, I don't think it's, it's, it's made. I think what it had to do is for scouts to change their normal way of thinking. Before, we used to always ding players who transferred out we were talking about their lack of competitiveness and those things why are you leaving why didn't you stay and fight why don't you go earn the right well now the transfer portal has opened it up where people are going to take advantage of better opportunities and so you don't hold that against them so if anything i think it has created an op chances for players particularly players who are playing at lower levels to go up so now we get to see them against better competition so if anything i would say it's been a good thing in that regard, even though it's created a little bit of the wild, wild west when it comes to everyone moving around. It hasn't been a bad thing for NFL scouts. There you go. Uh, I think I have to answer this one because it's from our buddy Sean, uh, part of the MTS team, wants to know, will the Padres be good enough to make the playoffs so I can see the Phillies again on the West Coast? Well, they play four against the Phillies this weekend, Sean, so I guess we'll both figure out a lot about our teams after this weekend. I, I, I went optimistic, though, Buck. I went back through all of my rage tweets during the Padres' struggles. I went back through. I, I scrubbed them. I, I thought maybe I'm just bringing too much negativity. I'm putting too much pressure on these guys. I'm going to be positive. So I scrubbed all that negativity, and it's the second half, fresh start. We'll see how we do. I just want to know, when, when, are, when are we are, – in 2024, are we going to have the same uh, opening oh, yeah. day optimism and enthusiasm and we're ready to go? We got the best team money can buy. We can go do it. This is our year. Or are Men we going to learn how to – are we going to learn black. how to just kind of like, just kind of mute it down? Like, hey, we're just going to focus on winning month to month. Let's, hey, let's win. Let's win this month. Like, nope. It is. That's what I'm saying. It's men in black. We just, we just, we forget <laughs> the bad that happened. And then we go positivity. We're going to win the whole thing. All right. Uh, here you go. This one's for you. Um, uh, let's get to with the addition of Kellen Moore, Quentin Johnson, and Darius Davis. Uh, we've got a couple TCUers and the new office coordinator, Kellen Moore. Uh, how much do you see the usage of Keenan Allen and Mike Williams being affected? Charge uh, question there for you, Buck. Not much at all, because yeah. here's what Kellen Moore has at the bottom of his play sheet players over plays. Mm-hmm. He is going to make sure that a uh, number 13 and like Mike Williams, they are going to touch the ball. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, they will be the focal points. Everybody else will eat the crumbs. But mm-hmm. those guys are going to get the majority of the targets and touches, and then they'll build it out from there. If it's a third person, Austin Eckler. Those three will primarily drive the offense. The other guys will have these hot moments, but not. Nah, it won't impact their targets and touches. No doubt. And I think if you look at the success of the Cowboys and the receivers that have had success, think about Amari Cooper, think about CeeDee Lamb, route runners. Yes. Keenan Allen is the route runner. So he's oh, going he to be is one absolutely gonna, a route runner. Yeah, yeah he, is, he is a route runner. He's, he's going to make sure he gets plenty of opportunities to, to get busy. Here, here we go. Next one. Uh, uh, what will be your philosophy as a GM? Never pair a rookie QB with the rookie coach. Design your team to win the division. Never trade within the division. I would say on the first one, 
I, I do not I do not like the idea of a rookie quarterback with a rookie coach. That would be something I would try to avoid. Um, design your team to win the division. Of course, we've talked about that. You always build mm-hmm. your team around your environment. That's important. Never trade within a division. I don't care about that. I think that's an old school thought. I think new school thinking is you're fine. You know, just you want the no, you for your players. You want, it's you want, about you want, what's coming to you, not what's going to them. And and you already know. Like if you're building the part ways, you already know what they're dealing with, and you know how to attack it. Hundred percent. And and the other thing I would say on the rookie, the one exception would be obviously you hire a uh, a rookie head coach. And you're going to bring in, uh, you have the first pick in the draft, and you're going to get Caleb Williams. Like, would you say, oh, I can't do that, rookie coach? Rookie. That means you get a veteran offensive coordinator. This has got to be, you can't have rookie, 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 rookie. You got to have somebody in there that's got the experience. So, whether it's the head coach, whether it's the offensive coordinator, whether it's the quarterback, to me, it's that trifecta. You don't want to have all three of those guys without any NFL experience in that particular role. That's my opinion. Oh, absolutely. You want some diversity in thought and thinking. You want some experience and expertise. And so um, the good thing about a, a coach and what a coach should do is you have to understand, all right, where are whole, where are deficiencies? How can I supplement that? Do I need age and experience in this room because I got a bunch of young players? Do I need a young player to bring energy with a younger group? All of those things uh, are part of the process of building your staff and also building your team. All right, this is a good one for you. Uh, I think a lot of people wonder about this. For NFL scouts, how much of their skill set is about understanding X's and O's versus understanding the techniques and skills when appraising players? Ooh, um, I would say a little bit, but not not everything. Because the thing that you can't do, and I used to get in trouble with this early, is when you're kind of like an X and O's guy, you love we the call X's them scheme scouts. Scheme scout. Yeah, you get so caught up in watching how the team is playing, what they're doing, that you don't look at the player. And so, yeah, you need to have a base level understanding of what he's being asked to do and how he's being utilized in the scheme. But you're still looking at the traits. You're still looking at the athleticism. You're still looking at uh, some of the core um, techniques and stuff that they're going to have to be they're going to be asked to execute at the next level. And you go from there. And so I don't think it is a, a requirement that you're like the best schemer. I think you just need to know enough to understand what they're being asked to do. So you can evaluate them in the role that they're being asked to play. If I was going to put a a letter grade on it, I would say to me, as a scout, you're responsible to to get a information in terms of the makeup of the player. Like that's you need to know about what the makeup is, what makes this guy work off the field, how that translates on the field. Scout, I have to have a there. You look at athleticism and, and traits and skills. I think the you know the beauty of having done it for a long time. We've each done this for over 20 years now. Mm-hmm. is that you've seen enough of guys to know what it looks like. Sometimes it can be hard to define, but you know what it looks like at each position. You know, we talked about our prototype series. You go back through that. You can listen to it, what you're looking for. I think you need to have A information there in terms of being able to identify this guy. Some guys you just say this guy can't move well enough to, to do the job mm-hmm. he's going to need to do at the next level. So I think there. The scheme stuff, I always tell like you just got to have a C level understanding of that because eventually it's going to get to our coaches and our coaches are going to be able to sit down with him. I, I'm gonna, you can sit here and say I have a a master's degree in football and I'm talking about you could be a Hall of Famer, but you don't know what this kid's been told. You don't know what he's been taught. You don't know what they're asking right. him to do. We can assume this is what it should be, but you don't know for certain this is how they're they're coaching it and what they're asking him to do. So until you get in the room with him. Um, you're not going to get that information. There's the basic core understanding where you could say, oh, gosh, I know he busted on this or that. But for the most part, to me, that's a that's a baseline understanding that you need to have. I don't think you have to have a master's degree in X's and O's to be a scout. No. And, you know, every scout has different strengths. And so if I'm a general manager, I want to make sure that if I have eight different 
uh, scouts roles that I need to fill. I'm going to make sure that I have a diverse group in terms of thought, experience, playing experience, where they come from, because everybody has a different strength. And so for me, there's some guys that are great at getting the background. Man, you can put mm-hmm. them on a campus and they'll know the janitor and everybody, and they will come away with great information that is essential to put in the report. Then there are other guys that are great evaluators of the athleticism and tools and traits and those things. There are other guys who have a terrific database in terms of being able to recall players that have been drafted in certain rounds who've had success and being able to cross-reference the traits of a current prospect with those traits. And so it is about figuring out what you're really good at and then being able to sell that so when people hire you, they put you in a role that really fits your skill set. To me, I've found just personally the thing that is most beneficial is having built up a database of players to be able to fall back on. In other words, people can say comparisons, you like them, you don't like them. I think they're instrumental in terms of the evaluation process. And having having done it the longer period of time, mm-hmm. you just add you throw more players into that data, database. You can go back and look through your notes when they were coming out. You can go back and look through your record. You mm-hmm. can look through numbers. And you can look through makeup and you can say, man, this guy is this, 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 and this. And that other player that had this, 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 and this was really successful. So that gives me more courage to be able to put that big grade on him and off we go. I'm with you, DJ, because I think experience is life's greatest teacher. In the scouting mm-hmm. business, that is also true. Um, I'm sure I've shared, but in my lifetime, I have played with or worked during the 15 Hall of Famers. So wow. 13 Hall of Fame players that I played with two coaches and an executive that were, well, one coach and one executive that were Hall of Famer. And so mm-hmm. what happens with those players, you see the best of the best. And so that gives you a working knowledge of like, well, here's what the best is. When we talk about 8-0 on the grade, like we've seen what those guys look like. And so now you're working out. So then when you start working for teams, you draft certain players high. So for me at the Carolina Panthers, when they took Julius Peppers, like, you see what a number two overall pick is supposed to look like. And mm-hmm. once you start experiencing those things, it forever changes your eyes. So now when you're looking, we're talking about, hey, man, this is a top five player. where well, you're taking against the top five that you've either been a part of drafting and you're saying like, oh, OK, these guys are comparable in terms of their dominance or all of that other stuff. And so, yeah, the experience of being around the game and of compiling that database should enable you to become a better scout in time. That's really interesting, man. It's so cool. You've been able to be around those guys and be able to have that influence and see that. We always talk about, um, you know, my time when just being around the Ravens during that time, we had prototypes talk about during the prototype series to be able to say, this is what it looks like. This is what it's supposed to be at the highest, highest level. Now I'm not going to find another Jonathan Ogden or Ed Reed or Ray Lewis, but I can find what some of those things that made those guys great. Do they have those, components you know and so i think that's that your your history and that's why phil savage used to always say and i kind of understood it at the time when i started but now i definitely understand it as somebody who's had more time in it said maybe the most important job of a scout is keeping good records oh yeah and i thought about that i was like you know what you're right because if you can't access all that knowledge and information that you've acquired over the years if it's gonna you know maybe you forget this man if you keep detailed notes you have used to be notebooks now you can do it digitally uh, through your laptop Mm -hmm. or what have you but being able to go back and access that information and knowledge is huge because you learn from the hits and the misses yes you learn from those things like we said here early we talked about pat mahomes and like now we would be like oh why why didn't we give my top five pick i mean you know those things but like you, you learn from being able to review. And I think that is the other part 
when you talk about the database and being able to compile it, what you want to do is you want to keep your standards high. And in this industry, a lot of times it's easy to change things draft to draft. But the greatest evaluators that I've ever been around, that you've ever been around, they have this ideal that they don't change from. And so when they talk about like, hey, man, yeah, this guy in this draft, they're talking about him being a top five. But in our grading system, he wouldn't grade as a top five no. all the time. And so you keep yeah. it there. So you give him the grade that he would get and say that, hey, in this draft, he may go top five, but yeah. we don't see him as, as a top five talent. And so that's yeah. you have to be a hard grader because you always want to keep those ideals in mind because you're trying to build a championship team. And that is the standard. Those guys have to play at a championship level. Um, all right, a couple questions left here. We got to crank through this here. Uh, one of them, this was uh, for me asking how the fishing was going. Haven't haven't been back out to the pond to fish anymore. We're letting. I got about seven, eight left in there. Um, still feeding them. They're well taken care of. We, we got to. We're regrouping. We're in a regrouping phase right now. Are they? Are they still figure out how to get them out? Are they still enjoying the chicken Chick Fil A? Are they still? No, no. We've gone back to the standard pond food from Petco. Um, oh, okay. So. So no more Chick-fil-A. For they're me. doing well, and they don't have to share it with as many of their friends anymore. So they're living nice. <laughs> living nice. Um, the, uh, uh, here's one for you. Top three favorite football stadiums. Ooh. We're talking about college or pro? We're just talking about any. Yeah, it's a dealer's choice. Dealer's choice. So I watched Michigan play Ohio State in the big house. Fell in love with that. Uh, I think anytime you have an opportunity to go to SEC country and watch a game in a swamp, yeah. I would advocate for that. And then, look, I'm, I'm being a bit of a homer, but there's nothing like watching a big game, a big primetime night game in the Coliseum. Yeah. When USC is good and the other team is marking USC, Notre Dame in the Coliseum at a, 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 a late kickoff, mm-hmm. sign me up, put me there. Yeah, those are the most electric atmosphere i've been in was probably those reggie bush liner years where at that time the coliseum was ninety two thousand, and it was Ooh. jammed every week i remember going there watching them beat beat arkansas by like 70 and there's everybody in hollywood's down there on the sideline it was i remember ohio state came in there early in the season they beat the brakes off them um i mean it was the atmosphere was there was juice in that stadium but i would say if if you take sc so i'll take sc out of the mix and that does need to be when sc's rolling not in a you know it's not no. there each and every time not now when it's forty five thousand there but lsu at night is number one for me yeah that's that's if you yeah. haven't done it you get a chance to do it it's a oh bucket list God. thing i went it's saw amazing. i've been there a couple times but during the day but i went and saw him play bama at night it was a low scoring game took my son he was about 12 years old it was great um so lsu at night the swamp is 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 number two for me. Like I saw them play my. It was the Tebow years. I think they played Miami night game, hot, but it was Ooh. it was awesome. The environment was incredible. Um, so that one would be there. And then, gosh, for the so if I'm going those two, if we're just keeping it college, because I think a college from from my money, the college atmosphere is just better than the NFL atmosphere yes. for a game. Yeah. So those would be those two. I've been Ohio State. I was maybe it was just because it was like gray weather. I I liked it. I didn't love it. Penn State, I haven't been there for a whiteout. Really cool, but I would like to do a whiteout there. I would like to do a whiteout. Yeah, I would like. Haven't done a whiteout there. Um, I would say, gosh, the last one. You know what I might say? What I would say is one of the more underrated is Washington, because it's beautiful right there on the water. It's beautiful. So and you're up there in the press box, all high, and it's swaying back and forth. So 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 I was I was I would say Washington when they have it rocking and rolling. 
And when mm-hmm. they when the siren gets to going, yeah, when 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 they're they're playing and normally when they're good, their defense is like lights out. And that defense is like getting after it and they got the siren going and all of that. Like it it jumps. I saw and I, I don't want to be West Coast wise. I saw Utah beat the brakes off of Texas A&M mm-hmm. and Rice Eccles. And DJ, when I talk about beat, I mean le- legitimately beat the brakes off. <laughs> I mean, yeah. during the Urban Meyer era. Um, so, so that is good. But I just think like there's something, and I haven't had the opportunity to go to an Iron Bowl, but I would love to see Alabama and Auburn. Uh, yeah, I saw. I saw. I've seen Alabama LSU at both places. So I've seen it at Alabama at LSU. I would give LSU the nod in terms of just a raucous environment. Uh, Alabama was great. You know the history, Sweet Home Alabama, the whole thing. It was. It was fun. I was there when Jamarcus Russell was at LSU. Uh, so I was going there to look at him uh, play at Bama. It may have been against Brody Croyle. I can't remember who who the quarterback was at Bama. Good game. But um, yeah, that's a that's a great. You can't go wrong. I played it. Played in a bunch of those SEC stadiums. Auburn, like it's. Uh, I would say uh, look, it, it does mean more. It's just a, it's the atmospheres are unbelievable down there. I would say from afar, Texas OU game. They keep changing the name, Red mm-hmm. River Robbery Shootout, whatever it is. But yeah, they have not been to one of those. I've been to Texas. Yeah, I've been to OU. Texas games. I've been to OU games, but I haven't seen them play each other. Yeah, Texas OU. I would go to that. Uh, but anyways, those those more than three, but that's some of our favorite spots. Uh, we'll go two more questions here, Buck, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap this thing up. Um, uh, any advice for aspiring scouts on how to get into the business and build our skills to the field? We've talked about this on an episode before. Maybe Nabil could uh, – we'll challenge Nabil to post that, if locate that and post it because we have had a longer discussion about how to do that. I would just give you the quick answer would be watch players. You have Game Pass, whatever they – now it's on, I guess, it's NFL Plus. You can go – you can subscribe to that. You can go back and watch all 22 footage. Find – you know, just do – write-ups on <clears throat> like just go print out the stat leaders who are the receivers had the most receptions the top 10 mm-hmm. study those guys watch three games each and study them take notes on them uh and then write little summaries on them write a paragraph summary on those players do it for the top 10 at each position and just keep doing that over and over again um and 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 just keep watching and writing players that's going to help you you know try and uh, acquire the skills you're going to need to evaluate and you'll kind of figure it out go back to our prototype series you can listen mm-hmm. to how uh, we evaluate, we brought in a lot of experts and, and discuss uh, what you look for at each position. So that would be my advice. And uh, to build upon your advice, I would say this, focus more on how you expect a player to play over his first three years of his career, more so than mock drafts. I would yeah. say that uh, mock drafts have their place in an entertainment sphere, but I would say that real scouts, are talking about how a player is going to play and how he's going to impact a team when he gets to the National Football League. So if you can focus your efforts on being able to project where a player is going to be in two, three years, that will be time better served than trying to get it right when it comes to mock drafting. Because in the building, in NFL buildings, mock drafts are just a itty-bitty part of the draft process. Learn how to evaluate players. Worry about that other stuff later because that other stuff is more for TV and this side, not for behind the scenes. Good advice. Uh, last question we'll get to here. Sorry if we didn't get to it. We'll do another one of these uh, soon. We'll get to some more of these questions. We tried to knock out as many of them as we can. Uh, this is an interesting one. What position do you think will look the most different in the next five years? Mm. Most different. I will say, like, it's funny. I would say maybe linebacker will continue to evolve that's what that was my answer 
Yeah, I think off the, the ball linebackers. I think we've seen the the entrance of the taller, longer, rangier off the ball linebacker, and all that the challenges that presents in terms of passing lanes and blitzing and just length. I think like height and length at, at off the ball linebacker. I think that's going to be a body type that's gone from the five foot ten, two hundred and forty five pound guy. I, I think that the league's going away from that. Yeah, you got to be able to run. And then what's going to happen as soon as we get the league full of that, the league is going to go back to running the football right at them. And so mm-hmm. it'll continue to be um, an evolving process. But yeah, the linebacker, because that is the piece that everyone is trying to figure out. I need a guy that is athletic enough to be a factor in the passing game, being stout enough to impact the run, but also having the ability to deal with the quarterback, either as a blitzer or as a shadow guy when it comes to quarterbacks who can pull the ball and run it. No doubt. Um, all right. Well, there you go. We got to a bunch of those questions. We appreciate you guys submitting them again. We'll do another one of these uh, in the future and we we'll go through and knock a bunch of them out. I hope we got your questions answered um, and I appreciate you guys hanging with us today. We'll be back next week. I should say Buck, you'll be ne- back next week. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be on a little bit of a vacation, uh, but Buck, I think Marcus Grant, our buddy Marcus Grant might be joining you early in the week and then uh, and we'll have another episode coming your way as well. You guys can chop it up a little bit. Should be fun. Looking forward to it. All right. We appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. And we'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.